This is Happen to Your Career, episode 124, Success According to You. I was raised with this unbelievable um, powerhouse entrepreneurial survivor mother. Step into your gifts and unapologetically kind of make your way in life doing something that you love and you really can make money doing what you love. You just need a lot of times a little bit of help to overcome those hurdles. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, this is Scott Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. Now, we get to do all kinds of, of cool things, like bring on experts in uh, public speaking, like David Nihill, who helps entrepreneurs leverage the power of humor in storytelling and and really be able to sell what it is that they've got going. And people that have pretty amazing stories like Doc Kennedy, who was able to push past fear and made the leap to pursue his dream of filmmaking. And people just like you who have gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And, you know, they're people that are just like our next guest. By the way, for all those stories, you can go back and listen to the past episodes of Happen to Your Career, dig deep into iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get your podcast episodes because they are there and they are they are pretty amazing, actually. So here's what we've got in store for you today. We're going to talk about why it's so important to define success for yourself instead of measuring against other people's standards because people, we, not just people, you, me, I, we get so caught up in other people's standards and that really doesn't do you any good. It's normal. It's completely normal, but it really doesn't do you any good. Instead, I want to focus on what does. And you've heard, you've heard the term fake it till you make it. It's, it, it can actually, done in the right way, be a very powerful strategy that you can employ to build the confidence you need, not just in business, but in life. And then also the specific steps that you can take to identify a business that you can start today. Now, let me, let me tell you about uh, let me tell you about the uh, Christy, who is is our next guest, and we're who you're going to learn all this stuff from. Christy actually joined the Dave Ramsey company, Lampo Group, Ramsey Solutions, in 2009 after working for three years at the YMCA. She was a director at the YMCA, and and after after a period of time, and you'll hear this story. It's an amazing story. Um, uh, with a little bit of that faking it until you make it, 
she became a Ramsey personality and on the speakers team. And now she frequently contributes to EntreLeadership.com and, and Entre Leadership Podcast. And, and she's been a featured speaker at all the Entre Leadership events or a number of the Entre Leadership events. And from here, she's spoken to tens of thousands of people at National Conference for sports clips, great clips, uh, Viridian Energy for multiple Fortune 500 companies like Verizon and Bayer. And she's gotten to address students publicly at top universities like University of Oklahoma, Indiana, Wyoming, Purdue, and she's on top of all that certified business coach. Uh, she loves working with many startup business leaders. She uh, often will host Dave Ramsey's podcast. She writes uh, content for entreleadership.com, all of these things and quite a bit more. I think you're going to get a ton out of this episode. If you've ever even thought about what success looks like for you, or if you've ever thought about, had inklings of thought about starting a business. You're going to love it. So let me bring on right now, Christy Wright. Christy, I am so excited to have you on Happen to Your Career today. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I'm excited for a couple of different reasons. One, we're going to get to talk to you a little bit about some of your specialties, which really have to do with building a business, particularly on the side. And then at the same time, um, I want to talk through some of the the pieces on finances around that. And we've got a whole bunch of folks that are listening to this right now that uh, that are really interested in those two topics. But before we get into that at all, I wanted to talk a little bit about what your background is, where you come from, who you are, who's Christy? <laughs> Great question. So, so uh, yeah. it's very fun to see where I am in my career now and how different pieces of my life and my story happened that all felt separate. And now it's cool to see how you, uh, how those have been interacting and really coming together for kind of this mission and this purpose now. And I was actually raised by a single mom and she, um, she started a little cake shop when, she, when I was six months old to raise and support me. And so I was raised with this unbelievable um, powerhouse entrepreneurial survivor mother. And so that was kind of the back backdrop of my childhood. I was raised in the business. I understood business. I was, you know, learning how to do stuff when I was seven, eight, you know, 10, 12 years old in the business. And okay. so that was always kind of my background. But I think the powerful example of my mother seeing to her gifts and unapologetically kind of making her way in the world really sets me on a path to do the same. And so it's very cool to see now Years later, I have a degree in business. I'm a certified business coach. I travel all over the country with Dave Ramsey's team speaking at Entree Leadership events and small business leaders. And then also I coach women with side businesses and uh, had several side businesses of my own throughout the course of my career. And now just kind of seeing how all this is playing together to help people do the very same thing my mother did and I did, which is step into your gifts and unapologetically kind of make your way in life doing something that you love. And you really can make money doing what you love. You just need a lot of times a little bit of help to overcome those hurdles, get answers to your questions, get a plan, uh, and reduce some of the overwhelm that business can provide uh, initially that can kind of be scary. And if you get that, man, you can go out there and win in the marketplace. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what was what was your first side business then? My first one was boarding horses. So. Boarding horses. Okay, tell me <laughs> yeah. about that then. Well, I was uh, working full-time at nonprofit, which if you ever worked a nonprofit, it can suck the very life out of you. And I was working 80, 90 hours a week, every week. It was crazy. But um, I was looking to actually 
actually downsized and I had roommates and I was like, I need a little apartment. I'm never home anyway. But I'll tell you, it always been a dream of mine to live on a farm. And I randomly saw an ad in the paper uh-huh. for a 40 acre farm for rent. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Of course. <laughs> so I moved there. It was like double the rent. It was so silly, but I actually uh, started a horse boarding business there to help pay my rent. So it was really to supplement my income. Interesting. So then you went from boarding horses to what was what was next after you got that? What do you still have anything to do with horses? Just curious. I I don't. I, years uh, years later, whenever I kind of you know gave the farm life up and moved into the city to have a a normal life of a twenty you know something year old, yeah. uh, I donated all of my animals to a young life camp, which I've been very involved with young life uh, high school ministry my entire life. So I donated yeah. them, so they're all together and happy in North Carolina, and uh, and so now where I am is I'm actually doing a lot of speaking and business coaching, but before I kind of came on Dave's team as a full time speaker business coach, I. Uh, some coaching on the side, some life coaching and business coaching kind of on the side in addition to my full-time job as well. So I've had a couple side businesses, usually, um, you know, to help supplement my income and and build those up. And then now I'm helping other people kind of do the same thing. So I'm really curious that, I mean, you made the comment about, hey, if you, if if you know anything about nonprofit, sometimes those can suck the life out of you. So (laughs) why do you reference it that that way. I, I, well, I mean, I agree. I've met a plenty of people that have said the same thing, but I'm curious what that was for you. Well, for me, um, I was hired as a very young director for a brand new center. So I was charged with building a, a department from the ground up. And that center here in Nashville became the fastest growing center in the country at that time. And so the need was just unending. And I think that's what it is in nonprofit and ministry specifically. Uh-huh. The need is Ending. And and businesses, traditional businesses may have traditional hours and nonprofit, you, you're never really off. You know, and so a lot of times you feel like you're trying to catch a tidal wave with a teacup and it becomes very easy to get overwhelmed, you know, with just the need that's just nonstop. And so it's very easy to burn out and it's very important to have balance and boundaries in order to kind of stay the course in that type of industry. So where did you start realizing then as you were going through that, that, hey, maybe this is not the right thing for me? Well, it was a great season and it gave me incredible um, career experience, all of the um, skills and and management and leadership that I I was thrown in the deep end of leadership. So I was really developed a lot of that kind of very early on in my career that laid the foundation for the things that I get to do today. Um, But around about after three years of being in um, that location, I kind of really just felt it was time to move on and it was time to do something different. And so that's when um, I really feel like God told me, honestly, that I'm, I'm going to go work for Dave Ramsey. And so I started looking at what he does and and getting into uh, kind of learning about uh, finances and learning about what positions they had available. And it's very cool to see. It's been an a, a interesting journey even since then. Cheryl Sandberg says in Lean In, most careers are not a ladder you climb, but a jungle gym. And mine has certainly <laughs> been as well. <laughs> I love that quote. So, yes. I, I then with the with Dave Ramsey's team, why why do you say that uh, you felt like God was leading you in that direction? I mean, I don't know. I know that it must. It was just kind of one of those things where you feel like your season is over, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. with the nonprofit, I felt like that season was up, and I was um, standing on my deck one day. This is a true story. I was sitting on my deck one day and I thought, you know, I just, I'm never going to find a company I believe in as much as this one. Like, I really love that we change lives and we help people. And I, however you want to explain it, I heard the voice in my head. I thought, God say, you're going to work for Dave Ramsey. And I'll be honest with you, Scott, I had no idea who Dave Ramsey was. I was like, I need to go Google this guy because I don't know who it is. That's so interesting. And so I Googled him. 
yeah. And then, uh, and kind of that was the beginning of the journey in this direction. I've heard so many people say that same thing. I, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of the people on the team there. Well, I don't know. You guys are probably approaching 500 or so, maybe more at this yes, point. But, yeah. Um, but I've probably met at least 30 or 40 or so of, of the team there. And I've heard a lot of them say something similar. So yes, we all have crazy stories of how yeah, we got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems to, I'm noticing the theme. Yes. Okay. So you, you get on Dave Ramsey's team. How did that happen in the first place? You go from standing on your deck to the point in time where you're like, okay, I don't know, but this is, this is going to be meaningful. I feel like God's leading me in this right, this direction over here. Uh, to How did that actually happen then? Well, I applied for um, a position doing a youth product. So I was the youth product coordinator. And it's interesting because I'd never done products before, but I'd done programs through my nonprofit. I was an aquatic director at the YMCA here in Nashville. And so I was over all types of swim lessons and swim teams and sports and that kind of thing. And so I was able to kind of make a case for myself in the interview process that I've done programs, same process for products. It's just tangible goods. And so um, that was the position I was hired for. And I started there in the fall of 2009. And so how I got into speaking, which is what a lot of people ask me everywhere that I go, is another crazy story that makes no sense. Um, But Dave's daughter, Rachel Cruz, which many people I'm sure are familiar with, she's a New York Times bestselling author. She was actually in college at the time. And so in the spring of 2010, there had been an arrangement worked out where she was going to go speak at a conference um, all summer, and there was going to be 20 different conferences, so she'd be, be in a different state every single day speaking at these conferences. And um, somehow during this whole process, I inherited this arrangement. And so about two weeks before she's supposed to go on the road, she's going to graduate in May, and then she's going to go on the road to speak at this conference all summer, uh, we get the travel schedule from the conference company, and they had booked the cheapest flights possible all through Expedia, and they had two and three connections. It was a complete nightmare. You're going to New York, to California, to get to Texas. You're in an airport 16 to 18 hours a day. It was just a disaster. And so um, Dave, her dad, Dave Ramsey, really with a lot of wisdom said, she's not doing this. She's not doing this travel schedule. No one should have to do it, but especially not a new graduate that's just now starting her career. And so I, as the new liaison with this company, got to be the bearer of bad news <laughs> to them that she was not going to be able to come to 20 dates, but he would allow her to come to 10, 10 of those conferences. And so whenever I spoke with the the gentleman at the company, I said, I'm so sorry, you know, but she's not going to be able to do 20. She can do 10 of these and can pick whichever 10. And he said, Christy, uh, I've got her slated. I've got her, you know, booked for 20 keynote presentations to at these different conferences all over the country. What am I going to do for those other 10? And I said, I'll do them. And he said, can you speak? I said, I think so. <laughs> so I want you to know that summer we went you know, on the road and Rachel did 10 events and I did 10 events. And then that fall, they created the speakers group where we identified a real need for message bearers because we were turning down 3,000 requests a year for Dave to come speak. And so they wanted to have a new group of speakers and message bearers. And I was slid into that group. No audition, no application, no questions asked. So it's been a very interesting journey to see how it's evolved from there and turned into what is now certainly uh, me right in the sweet spot of my gifts and calling it who would have known that, you know, years ago when I was at the YMCA. <laughs> Way to go out on a limb and take advantage of that opportunity. Potentially a bad, yeah, <laughs> bad well, very just, bad situation. <laughs> I'm yeah. just 
to problem solver. So I don't really think about, you know, how it's going to get done. I'm just like, I'll just fix this problem. And, and I, I was like, I can figure out how to speak. <laughs> sure. I can figure it out. <laughs> how very entrepreneurial of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that is, that is, uh, that is quite the story. Okay. So yeah. then uh, let's, let's jump over to the side business piece now, because now at this point, you know, this is, this is part of what you're doing. You're helping, uh, primarily, primarily your focus is on women. It sounds like. Help- right helping them be able to start businesses and grow their businesses, right? Right, exactly. So what we're seeing is just an incredible movement, Scott. And I'm sure you've seen this in the news and the media with just our generation. But what we're seeing is right now, there are 30 million solopreneurs or independent workers, freelancers, however you want to say it. They are expecting in the next three years, that number will be 40 million. And so there's this incredible movement already happening in our world of people wanting to earn money on their own terms. And they want to be able to kind of pave their way, use their gifts, make their own schedule, do work that matters, and not kind of have this traditional job where you collect a paycheck, it's a J-O-B, and you go home unfulfilled. And so I love what I do every day, but you know, research shows that 70% of Americans do not love their job. And so they're really kind of seeking out other ways to find fulfillment and earn money. And so this movement is already happening, but then you're seeing a whole market of women specifically, which is why I use that example, where you get the Etsy generation and you also have more often than not women wanting to have more flexible hours in order to be home with their families. And so um, there's this, there's, there's millions of women out there that are highly educated, highly skilled, incredibly talented that are either want to go home to stay home with their kids or they have a dream to just do something that they enjoy more than their full-time job or both. And so that's where we're kind of stepping in and we're, we're coming around them and saying, we're going to help you learn the tools, get the basics. We're going to reduce the overwhelm. We're going to give you the plan you need so that you can earn money doing what you love. Because most of the women I've researched, and I've re- done research on this for years, um, many of them would say, I'm not business-minded. I'm overwhelmed by business. Uh, I'm not a business person. I'm not salesy. I don't want to be pushy. All these different things. Yep. But they're incredibly gifted and they're incredibly talented. And so what happens is the fear and the overwhelm keep them from taking their gifts and skills to market. And it's such a shame because what we can do is we really can minimize that overwhelm and simplify everything for them on the business side. They don't have to be an entrepreneurial junkie that loves, you know, business books at Barnes & Noble. That's fine. But we can really simplify it for them, give them the basics to run their business very successfully to earn money on their own terms and, and really achieve their version of success, which for many of them, by the way, is keeping it small. Many of the women that I work with, they, um, they have no desire to hire team members and grow it into a big enterprise. Now some do, and some of their goals change and some of those, those people grow and it expands, but many of them, they have the goal to simply keep it themselves small, manageable, but earn, you know, earn a certain amount of income, whether that's equivalent to a full-time job or even just supplementing the family income. And, and that's okay. That's their version of success. And that is not a bad thing. But a lot of what I see in articles and media is you see this big discrepancy between, oh, women businesses are lagging. You know, for example, 90% of women-owned businesses have no employees. They have no team members. And so you start to see like, oh, we've made great progress in women's business. For example, women have opened businesses at two times the rate of men for the last 20 years, but they're still lagging in revenue, lagging in size. They're still, you know, behind in team members and growth and investors and all these stats that really paint this picture that women just have so far to go. And my argument is 
we're, we're measuring them by the wrong version of success. We're saying this is what success looks like, so you're not there yet. There's this huge gap. And my argument is women don't have those things. Many of them do not have those things, not because they can't have them. It's because they don't want them. They want their businesses to be small and manageable on their own terms, doing what they love. And you know what? That is just fine. Hey, if I could interrupt for just a second, I really want to share this story with you. So I want you to meet Suzanne. I'm Suzanne Waslu adams I live with my husband and our two dogs in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Now, Suzanne's been working in the same job for quite a while now. For the last 10 years, I've worked as a color lab technician. Before she found us, though, in our eight-day course, she, well, here she is. I knew I needed a change. I had some ideas about what I wanted out of a career, but I felt unfocused and couldn't bring myself to finally making a decision. Does that sound familiar at all? Because I know I've been there. What amazed me the most about working through the course was the insight I gained about myself. Upon completing the exercises, I discovered that I needed to be producing detailed oriented creative work that reflected who I am. Now, I thought this was pretty cool when she dropped me an email about her decision and what the course did for her. The course helped me gain clarity and I figured out that I want to be running a business that showcases my creative spirit. Since then, I've created an action plan with steps that lead to self-employment and work that I love. Now, Suzanne wants to take her artwork that she does, and it's pretty amazing, and turn that into a business. And that is awesome for her because that's what she figured out that she wants. Now, if you want to figure out what you want, here's all you have to do. You can go ahead and go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Or you can text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC. Text it on over to 38470. And we'll get you enrolled in the course for free. So where do you think that, first of all, I, I completely agree based on the women that I've talked to and work with. Uh, a lot of that is very, very similar to what you just described. But why do you, why do you think that is for most women? Well, I think they don't have, and this is true, this is different depending, I don't want to generalize all women because you do have some of those powerhouse women oh, yeah. that are entrepreneur go-getters. Oh, yeah. They're like, I want to I want to build an enterprise and I'm going to take over the world. And I respect that because I'm, I'm very much like that. But there's a whole market of women that their life goals are not business. They don't find their identity in business. They don't have a desire to go bigger and better and all in. Their desire is to shape their life to look like something that they love and they're proud of. And when the business gets so big that they can't love it, it, it owns them. They don't own the business. Then it takes all the fun out of it for them. And so their motivation and goals are just very different than a man's. Many times men want to go bigger, better. How big can I make this, et cetera? Um, and we're just wired differently in that way. And so whenever you see many women starting businesses, it's not that they're trying to sell themselves short. You do have that issue a little bit starting on. But a lot of times, it's just because they want this to be a part of their life, not the primary thing in their life. And when you run a business, it can become the primary thing in your life very easily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So why do you think we measure it that way in terms of <laughs> number of team members? Are, are just uh, men in charge of the statistics on this? or <laughs> Not no, intending to make this about women no, versus men no, or anything sure. like that. I mean, but... I, think, I think the standard has always just been what can you measure? Uh, you can measure revenue. Mm -hmm. You can measure size, location, growth, team members. That's what you can measure. And so it's very normal to track success in terms of what you can measure. Now, what we're missing is women traditionally are more emotional than men. 
uh, within the first five minutes of talking to a woman, she'll tell you in some way how she feels. And within the first five minutes of talking to a man, he'll tell you in some way what he does. So this is just kind of how we're wired differently. Again, as a generalization, I don't want to make people mad here. I know everyone is not like this, but as a generalization, (laughs) that's how we're wired. And so when you understand that, then there are all these factors that contribute to success for women that do not necessarily contribute to success for men. And so when you look at it that way, you can't really measure success in terms of joy right? You can't measure success in terms of, it makes me feel good about myself. I get to use my gifts. I feel the dignity of contributing to my income. You know, when I did research, I did interviews one-on-one with these women, tons of women. And when I asked them, how do you measure success in the business? Is it dollars? Is it revenue? Is it, I asked, I, I, I know you're not supposed to ask leading questions when you're doing research, but on this one I did. I gave them leading questions, multiple choice. Is it dollars, revenue, units sold, personal income? How do you measure success? Every single one of them, every single one of them paused. They didn't like my answers. They paused. <laughs> and then they gave me their own answer, which was, it's how much I love it. I love what I get to do. The moment I stop loving it, I don't want to do it anymore. And so you're just, you know, researchers and analysts are looking at what you can measure. And those are typically, uh, you know, quantitative data, numbers, facts, figures, et cetera. They're not measuring how much do you love it? How does it make you feel about yourself to engage your God-given gifts? And that's what, that's what we're learning in my research now, that this is a whole market that they're, they think differently. And that's okay. They think differently. Their motivations are different. And, they, and that is actually a very awesome competitive advantage. It is not a weakness in the marketplace. It's an awesome advantage in how they run their business if they know how to leverage it correctly. So we spend a lot of time on this show talking about creating your own definition of success and using that as your own personal standard. So I am curious then, since you've done all this research, since clearly you've been thinking about this a lot. So what is, what is your personal definition of success look like? Mine is, is, and this sounds huge, but this is truly what I want to see. I want to see a movement. I want to see a movement of women stepping into their God-given gifts. I want to see a movement of women unleashed in the marketplace that are unapologetically using their gifts, putting uh, their talents out there, their skills out there. And it's something that brings them joy because what you see is a lot of times, and I'll speak from experience because I'm a new mom. I've got a little toddler here at home and it's very easy to lose yourself in motherhood. It's very easy to lose your identity in all your roles and responsibilities. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I've got to keep a clean house. I've got to do all these chores and responsibilities. And, and, you know, I'm in the South, so it's a little bit more traditional here. But just as a generalization, women research shows do more work around the house than men. It's just this is this compelling, whether it's a cultural standard or how you're raised or whatever. And so what we're seeing is a lot of things that women enjoy doing fade into the background. They get pushed to the back burner, whether those are hobbies or talents, education, uh, skills that they, the hobbies, things they enjoy just kind of fade into the background and they just become only a mom, only a wife, only tasks completed and chores checked off and that kind of thing. And what I want to see is I want to see women understanding that you have permission to be more than a mom. Being a mom is a wonderful, fulfilling thing, but it is not the only thing. And before your children and before your husband, you had a set of gifts and strengths and talents you offered the world and you were whole and you were perfect before your family. And it is okay to engage those parts of you because when you give up those parts of you, you're not just giving up the thing or the hobby or the skill, you're giving up a part of yourself the way that God created you. And so I really do, Scott, want to see a movement of women engaging their God-given gifts, getting back to that woman before they kind of lost track of her. And then by the way, when you do that, 
when you step into your gifts and when you unapologetically uh, kind of pave that way of life where those things become a priority also, in addition to being a wife and mom, et cetera, then you are a better wife and mom. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mother. I'm a better in every aspect of my life when I'm doing things that I'm good at that bring me joy that I was created to do. That's not a, that's not a, a bad thing. It's not a selfish thing. It's a very smart thing. Okay, so I want to ask you then, Actually, I have like three questions, but I'm going to ask them one at a time. <laughs> um, first, actually, first, let me deviate a little bit. Where where did you start using the word unapologetically? Because I I love that word. We it's all over our website and everything like that. But I don't hear oh, it. Really? I don't hear it very often. Yeah. Well, in my research and also just intuitively being a woman and understanding women, we're just so freaking sorry. Like, Scott, we're so sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry I have a question. I'm sorry that I need to, you know, go do this. I'm sorry I'm going to hand my, my baby to my husband. I'm, we're so, so I'm sorry I'm going to charge for my products and services. We're just so sorry. And I've read a lot of articles on that. It's very interesting articles if you, you know, Google anything about that, about why women traditionally say they're sorry more. But we just come from this place of um, another fact that research shows as a generalization, men tend to overestimate their strengths and abilities and women tend to underestimate their strengths and abilities. Yes. So we undercharge, we undervalue and we're just so freaking sorry. And I'm just, I'm, there's nothing to be sorry for. Like God created you on purpose with a purpose. Don't be sorry about it. I love it. <laughs> like, I love are you still it there? For, yeah, no, I love it for so many different reasons. I, I just don't hear people use that word and I've, I've latched onto it for years at this point for uh, not just for women, but because I think that is the general standard. Even yeah. if you even if you take out the yeah, I I've seen the same same set of research and everything like that supporting that that women typically are yeah, I'm sorry I'm going to sell this to you. I'm sorry that yeah, and on and on, but um I think that as a standard we end up really apologizing or feeling feeling like we shouldn't or maybe even we don't deserve or feel guilty for. Uh, doing anything that's going to be good for us, which then allows us to be good for other people. Right, exactly. And it's very interesting too. I've done some research on just the imposter syndrome. Like this is a oh, yeah. real thing where people oh, yeah. do not feel that they are um, qualified for their achievements. They don't deserve their achievements. And what's interesting that I would remind men and women listening, if you're in business and even in life, you teach people how to treat you. And so if you, if you act like you're sorry all the time, you're teaching them you have something to be sorry for and they will react accordingly. And so when you tell someone your price of your graphic design services, when you tell someone your price of your product or, or, or good and you say it like you're sorry, well, it's just kind of, it's actually, it's $25, but actually, you know, if you just have 20, I mean, really $5 is fine. I don't know. Do you just want to cook me dinner? And when you're so sorry, they don't get the value from it and they react accordingly. We're teaching people by how we present ourselves, by the clothes we wear, by the, by the tone we use, and certainly by how a po this posture of, a, of a, being apologetic for our existence, which is just so silly. Okay. So I'm listening to this, whoever I am, and I want to start being much more unapologetically me. Where do I start? Well, I will tell you, it starts by kind of faking it. And that's okay. Um, I, I encourage people a lot of times when I'm teaching on life balance to say no more. Um, and so the, the, uh, in this context, it would be to apologize less, you know, to, to kind of have this posture of confidence. But it really comes from just kind of faking it at first. And what, the reason that that's important is because these skills and habits are muscles. And if you never use those muscles, 
if you never say your price with confidence, if you're always so sorry, if you never say the word no and stand your ground and, and allow, you always allow people to push you around, then when you try to do it, you feel awkward and uncomfortable because that muscle is weak. But the more you use that muscle, even if it's just through practice and faking it and scripting it, whatever you need to do to use that muscle again and again, that muscle becomes stronger. And the more that you use it, the more that it becomes real for you and that confidence becomes very authentic. And so when I first walked onto a stage to speak, actually, at that conference I told you about, I was scared out of my mind, but I walked out there, Scott, like I owned the place. I was faking it to the max. I wanted everyone to believe that I knew what I was doing and I deserved to be there. Now, after six years, I genuinely walk out there like I deserve to be there because I, I, that muscle has been developed through reps and time. But initially, I just started out by kind of faking it, by trying to fake confidence. And, and it's almost like you try on some clothes, like you try on this outfit. And how does this feel? Like you've got to test it out at first until it becomes authentic for you. I was going to make some crack about wearing red pants, but it's not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I saw this pair of red pants and I really wanted to order them. I, my wife told me, no, no way. <laughs> no, you're not wearing those in, in this house. But so that was my, my equivalent where I was going to go. It's going to be a really bad analogy for faking it until I make it, but oh, we're, we're, we're going to move on though. Okay. Um, I, okay. So, so talk to me about about side businesses. How, how did you start getting focused on this first and then secondly you know if i'm in the place where i'm now becoming you know more unapologetically me and i want to get started on my business where do i where do i start and i know that's a massive question but well, we're going to try for, and tackle part of it no problem for me it was identifying this market that is already out there of 30 million you know solopreneurs and freelance workers and then it was years and years that launched me into research so i did research for years before I put anything out there, uh, before I put a, wrote a single blog, before I launched an event or anything like that. And so for me, it was launching into this research to understand the market. And once I understood the market, I realized that I'm the person for this job, that I have the business background to help minimize that overwhelm for these women. But I'm also a woman and a mom and I get it. You know, I, I understand what it feels like to want to use your gifts and have a creative outlet or do something you enjoy. And I've done that myself with side businesses. So that's what kind of started the whole thing for me. But I would encourage people that are listening that they want to get started. Um, I'll give you a couple tips based on what I've seen in my research. Number one, don't wait until you're ready. You will never be ready. Just do it. Just put something out there. Um, many people get overwhelmed with this idea of it has to be perfect. I have to have the, the perfect website, the perfect logo, the perfect tagline, the perfect photos. Everything has to be perfect before I hit launch. And if you wait until it's perfect, it will never happen. If you wait until you're ready, it will never happen. You'll never be ready. There will always be fear. There will always be it could be better. Someone else is doing it better. Someone else is doing it differently. And so what I encourage people is just take the first step. So if you want to launch a, a blog that's going to make you uh, six figures a year, don't focus on that and advertisers and sponsors and design. Don't focus on all that. Just write one blog. Just write one blog and hit post. That's it. And as you take that first step, that step will fuel confidence and momentum for the next step. But the problem is we totally get paralyzed. We wait until it's perfect. We wait until we have the full plan totally fleshed out. And we wait until we're ready and confident and excited. And we know we love it, everything about it before we hit post. And we never hit post. 
and it just sits there in the draft stage for years. And so I just encourage people to take that first step. Let's say you want to uh, have a, a, a business of teaching piano lessons or swim lessons. Don't focus on building a whole business, having a whole business plan, marketing your business. Don't focus on Facebook pages, any of that. Just teach one lesson. Just, just teach one lesson to one someone somewhere and that confidence will fuel the momentum for the next one. And so if you want to get started, as simple as it sounds, get started. Do something because with each step you take, each baby step, it gives you the confidence to take the next one. I think we have quite a few people in that exact place where they do really want to get started. They, a lot of them don't even necessarily know what they want to get started with. What advice do you have for people that are really trying to pin it down to find a business that is unapologetically them and really resonates with what their gifts are? Sure. Well, I've got um, three different things. One, I've got um, a blog post on this where um, it's five questions to ask yourself before you start your side business. So I'll go through some of those in just a second. Another one, I have a blog called um, 101 Business Ideas to Start from Home. Uh, and the third just tip I would give you would be don't get overwhelmed by this idea of calling or this idea of purpose. We get so caught up in, oh, what is my purpose in this world? It's like, you know what? It doesn't have to be that big and that overwhelming. And mo more often than not, people find their purpose and their calling and their sweet spot by just doing a lot of stuff and figuring out which are the right things we're going to do more of and the wrong things we're going to do less of. And so just start doing stuff and figure out what's a, what's a viable, fun side business that you could make money at. And start doing that. Don't worry if it's not your life's calling to do swim lessons. More often than not, as you get into it, you'll kind of figure out what that is for you. But the questions that I would have people ask themselves to kind of bring the barrier to entry to the marketplace down is, one, think about what you enjoy. What sounds fun to you? Like, what would you do if you weren't paid to do it because it just sounds fun? Um, the second thing I would ask them is, what are your strengths? What are you really, really good at? Now, most of the time, those are the same thing. What you're good at and what you enjoy are the same thing. People don't typically like doing things they're bad at. I'm a terrible singer, Scott. I don't like to sing. I like to do things that I'm really good at. So your strengths and what you enjoy usually line up. Another thing you could ask yourself is what do you already have to work with? Sometimes people think of an idea and it's going to cost a lot of money to get started. But what if you just looked around your house? You know, when I lived on that farm, as much as we joked about it, I had an 11 stall barn. I thought I can board horses here and turn it into income. This is something I have at my home. Maybe you have a sewing machine and you're crafty. You know, maybe you have a guitar. You can teach guitar lessons. What do you already have to work with that you could start in, you know, tomorrow making money at that thing? Um, another thing you want to ask yourself is where's the money? Every idea is not a viable business idea. Every idea is not going to make you money. So ask yourself, you know, is this a viable business idea? How could I charge for this thing that I love and that I enjoy and that I'm good at? And then also ask yourself, what are you passionate about? And this is a tricky one that I kind of coach people on because we get caught up in this idea of passion of I'm so passionate about this cause. I'm not passionate about this cause. And that becomes a big litmus test to determine if we do something or not. But I would bet that anything you decide to do, you can find something to be passionate about. And that's usually people, people on the other side of that. So maybe you're not passionate about upcycling thrift store furniture but maybe you are passionate about helping families and there's going to be a family sitting around that table that you painted and, and sanded and, and updated and made it look adorable and shabby chic right out of, you know, Pottery Barn. And there's going to be a family that has dinner around that dinner table that you put your love and hard work and sweat and tears into. And so when you look at the people on the other side of the transactions, 
of your business, then I think it creates passion and purpose for any industry, for any business that you do. I particularly love the question, what do you have around your house? We're always collecting great questions that help people with this exact thing. And I I haven't heard that exact one in the exact way. So I may borrow that. Good. Please do. (laughs) Christy, this has been, this has been particularly helpful. I think people are going to absolutely love this. And thank you so much for making the time. I know you've got quite a bit going on right now and you've got, uh, you've got a couple of more than a couple of events coming up. Some you're speaking at, some you're, some you're hosting. Um, You want to give people a little taste of what's coming up for you? Sure. Absolutely. So one of my, um, the, a very fun thing I get to do is speak at all of Dave's entree leadership events. And these are for small business owners. So if you have any listeners that are a little bit further along in business, it's not a side business. It's not just a baby idea for them, but they're running a legitimate business. Um, that would be a great resource for them. We have entreeleadership.com. We have a podcast, Entree Leadership Podcast on iTunes. Uh, it's a best New York Times bestselling book. And we have events all over the country as well. So that would be for your small business owners that are a little bit further along. And then resources we have for those of your listeners that that are probably in those early stages. They're trying to think of their idea or they're trying to get their idea off the ground. It's a side business. It's a hobby business or a home-based business. That's where the business boutique comes in. And that is um, where we are equipping women to make money doing what they love. And so you can visit businessboutique.com and learn about both of our events coming up this spring. We have one in Phoenix and one in Dallas, both in May. And we have an incredible lineup of unbelievable speakers and business experts uh, that help you with every aspect of business. We did one last November in Nashville, and it was just a complete blast. It was so much fun. It sold out. It was like 1,200 women that sold out in like a month. It was so fun. Um, But I also have a lot of content on my website, christywright.com or businessboutique.com, where I write articles on a lot of what we've talked about today. So how to price your product, how to sell without being pushy, what's the plan you need, do, you know, what do I do for taxes, what, I'm overwhelmed by insurance, do I need patents and trademarks and copyrights, and I just answer a lot of questions and kind of help equip people to take their skills to market without being so overwhelmed. So those would be some good resources as kind of follow-up to just help supplement what you're doing, because it sounds like, you know, we're on this crusade together, and it sounds like we have a lot of overlap in our markets, and I love that, because they, these people need help getting their dream off the ground. And I love that we're doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're a hundred percent right about that. And truly there can't be enough people helping for yes. this exact cause. So I, I very much love that. So what we're going to do and what we always do is we will put all of those links in the show notes where, you know, by now you can go to happen to com slash one twenty one and find everything that Christy and I talked about. Christy, thank you so very much. This is, this has been awesome. This has been a ton of fun. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey, I hope you loved that as much as I did. Now, along the lines of what Christy and I spoke extensively about, if you have a business inside of you waiting to come out, if building your own strengths-based business that is unapologetically you sounds good, guess what? We can help. Here's what I'd love you to do. I want you to go over to happentoyourcareer.com and click on start here at the top of the page. Uh, just uh, click on start here and then take two minutes and fill out the questions that, uh, that we answer there. Actually, it's not even questions. It's uh, click a couple of buttons and we'll tell you the best way that you can get started with your particular business. So do that right now. I think that uh, that you're going to love it. We'll guide you to one of the best tools that we have for you to get started right now. All right, 
happenyourcareer.com, click on start here, answer a couple of questions, and voila, magically, automagically, my new my new term of the century here, automagically, we will set you up with, uh, with some of the best stuff to help you. All right. Hey, we have a pretty amazing show next week too. And I don't want you to miss out on what we've got. We have a good friend of mine coming on the coming on the show to really talk about his journey because he's had a pretty amazing one. And he's not only made one career change, but he's made multiple career changes again and again and again. And he's persisted against what most people would consider all odds and even found ways to to kind of shortcut the process, I guess you could say. He didn't set out for that, but that's what ended up happening. So without further ado, take a listen to what's next week on the Happen to Your Career podcast. And my schedule just didn't allow me to see much of them. I worked nights and I worked weekends and it just didn't line up with my family's schedule. So the, the quality of my family life wasn't as good as it could have been. I wonder if you would be as tenacious or determined if you thought there were other options though. But I drove, was six and a half hours one way every time, every weekend. So, you know, back and forth. It, I did, I was going to happen to my career. And the timing lined up and we loved the area. So we said, okay, it's, it's time to move on work as ind independent contractor, however you want to look at it. So essentially do the same role I had been doing in marketing, only I wasn't their employee. And then I was free to do it for other people. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Next time, same, same happen time, same happen place. I'm resisting the urge to throw in a bat channel in there, but we absolutely value your time. So I appreciate you taking the time, making the time to listen to our show and find work that fits you. Find work, do work that you absolutely love. So we'll see you here next time. Really appreciate it. And with that, I'm out. Adios.